Hi, my name is Matt Sweetwood, lifelong entrepreneur, author of Leader of the Pack and CEO of LuxNow. Thrilled to be on my quest for the best podcast with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Matt Sweetwood. Matt is an accomplished entrepreneur who's been credited with the reinvention of the modern camera store, as well as the country's largest in-store photography education. He was CEO of the U.S. division of BB, the personal branding platform. He's CEO of LuxNow, a community of luxury property owners and renters around the world. His greatest achievement is having raised five successful children to adulthood as a single dad. Matt was the winner of the 2014 CMO President's Club President's Award, the 2015 AISH Communities Continuity Award, and the Photography Industry's 2016 Person of the Year. He received his BA in math from Rutgers, his MA in theoretical math from University of Pennsylvania, and his PhD in comp sci from Warnborough College in Ireland. He's based in Miami, Florida. Matt is here to talk about his book, Leader of the Pack, how a single dad of five led his kids, his business, and himself from disaster to success. Welcome, Matt. Hey, Bill. It is a pleasure to be here, and I don't know whether I can live up to that introduction, but I'll try my best. Well, you've heard it said that we're never as perfect as we are in our resumes, and that's just a small sample. (laughs) (laughs) True truth. Reinvention is a central theme of your book and a theme of your life and business. Can you tell me in your own words what reinvention means to you? I think that, you know, as we go through life, if you've lived long enough on this planet, we sometimes are down uh, the wrong path or we're down a path that is not going so well for us. And sometimes a fix isn't really good enough. And uh, I've been in a situation in my life where things were going in a very difficult manner, either in my business, you know, which I hope we can get into a little bit, and in my personal life. And it required me to rethink everything I had done and not just pivot, but just really completely change the way you approach life and reinvent yourself, either as a person or reinvent a business. And so for me, uh, sort of looking back, I don't know if I realized that as I was going through it, but looking back, I think that I've been in a situation where I've had to reinvent my business several times. I've had to reinvent myself personally several times. And, you know, even my final place where I am right now was a reinvention later in life. So I think that whether I like this or not, this is really a God's plan for me. And I know that it's helped me grow and helped me, you know, become a bigger person. And I think in the end, even though those moments can be painful, I think that I'm in a better place because of it. Matt, I know that changing jobs isn't the same as reinventing. So what do you attribute? What are some of the characteristics that make something a reinvention when you say, I have to go in a completely different direction? What do you think to do that makes it that significant to change? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll draw on a, you know, a situation that happened when I was running my photography supply company, which I was doing. I, I walked into that business in, I'll date myself now. I walked into that business in the late 80s. And we were running a pretty successful distribution business where we were selling photographic supplies to small stores. 
Back then it was, you know, film and batteries and sort of related photo supplies. And we were selling small stores like pharmacies. You know, at one point, pharmacies, independent pharmacies, actually accounted for about 80% of the photography sales. We were selling one-hour labs, camera stores, and, and the like. And as I was running that business, I realized, you know, as time went on through the 80s and so on through the 90s, is that all of those small stores were going out of business. So there really wasn't, they, or they were being bought up. You know, how many people, if you're old enough, know you had a local pharmacy in your town. It's now a CVS or a Walgreens. They were either bought up or put out of business. So the whole business model that I was existing in changed. And I knew that no matter what marketing you did, no matter what you did, your customer base was going. And that required a complete reinvention of the business. What we ended up doing was we ended up sort of leveraging some of the assets we have. And that's what I was talking about. I've written, I speak on the subject of reinvention, is we took a look at the assets that we had in the company. And we ended up changing our business from a B2B business to a B2C business. And that change was a complete reinvention of the business itself. When you're actually going from selling businesses to selling individuals, and we ended up selling photographers. So instead of selling stores, we took our dealerships, our knowledge, our industry knowledge, our distribution model, and we changed completely into a consumer company. And within a very short amount of time, we were one of the largest sellers, if not the largest seller of photographers in the country. So to me, that's a reinvention of a business, which is required by necessity. I've had to do similar things in my personal life, which we can get to, which obviously I talk about in my book, Leader of the Pack. Pull out a couple distinctions there. First of all, for people who don't realize this about the pharmacies, there used to be local pharmacies, and that the reason people would bring their cameras to those pharmacies is because cameras used to have film in them, and film needed to be processed before people could see the pictures. And that was a big deal to bring people into stores. It was kind of a loss leader. And three days or so later, you get your film processed and you'd have photos back to actually see whether the pictures you took were any good. You're the first person I think I've spoken to that actually still remembers the model. We used to sell, as part of, our, part of my company, we used to sell one-time use cameras. Actually, they were called disposable cameras. But the later on, for environmental reasons, they were called one-time use. In fact, the cameras were recycled in the end. But that item used to be the drugstores, even for the big, big drugstores, their number one profitable item. And the reason that that item was so profitable, it's not that a $10 or $12 one-time use camera generated the most revenue, but it generated three trips to the store. And those big stores know that every time you walk into a store, you're going to spend an average of, you know, $24.61. So you would go in once to buy the one-time use camera. You would go in a second time to get it processed and a third time to pick up your prints. So for them, it was a very powerful item. And similarly, other small stores and camera stores. And I also want to highlight, Matt, how changing your entire business focus made a real rapid, it was a dramatic shift. It was a reinvention, not just a change, because you had to transition from serving stores to serving consumers. And that really required an entire look at your processes, your relationships, and even the products and services that you offered. So that was a huge step. Absolutely. It required, a, we took the things that we had, the assets, our relationships with the Kodaks and the Fujis and the Polaroids and the Canons and the Nikons. We had to actually change our relationships with them. We then had to change how we marketed. 
We had to change how we collect money, how we speak to the customers. And as you so astutely pointed out, even the entire product mix actually changed. It increased dramatically. A lot of people, I'm sure, were frightened during this time, but you stepped into it boldly, whether through strong planning or just through you know, lack of, of uh, foresight as to how much difficulty and trouble and, and effort it would take to do this. But instead of contracting, your company actually grew, Matt. What were some of the stats from the time you took over the company to when you exited? I think that for me, I don't think it was either. I think it was more desperation. <laughs> you know, when you're sitting there and you've got, I think at that time, 30, 40, you know, people working for you. You know, we had grown the B2B business and then watched it slowly decline. You get kind of desperate. I have five kids to feed and ex-wives to pay and all sorts of things like that. And you have a big responsibility for a company. So I think desperation sort of forces you to do that. But I think the one pivot or one reinvention that I did later on when digital photography entered the marketplace and film, which we were a humongous seller of film, quickly disappeared, and all the small stores, particularly the camera stores, started going out of business, I opened the camera store. Actually, when essentially every camera store in New Jersey went out of business, opened the camera store and had to reinvent not only our business, but I had to actually reinvent the camera store model itself because the camera store model as it existed failed. In that situation, people were really scared particularly people within the company because they thought I was nuts. And sometimes I think that for an entrepreneur, for a business owner, you're the one who knows best and you have to have confidence in yourself and you have to believe in what you're doing with all your heart and have some desperation. And I think you really can do what you need to do to actually reinvent your business. And we ended up, after opening that camera store within a few years, we have one of the largest single location stores in the country. Every camera store that runs today essentially runs off uh, numerous of the principles that I created in that store. So I think that for any entrepreneur or any business owner, it's just believing in yourself and wanting desperately enough to make it happen. I always say to yourself, if you want something to happen, you ask yourself, how badly do you want it? Because you can have anything you want if you want it badly enough. You just got to really have the desire. And I think that for business owners who are listening, it's creating urgency. And sometimes external circumstances create that urgency, but you don't have to wait for a sea change in your industry. You could decide on a chart and chart a direction or embrace a strategy and say, this is what we're doing. After 90 days, we are no longer going to do that. We're going to be doing this instead. And it creates that same type of culture change. And when you lead from that position, people follow because you've given them certainty as the direction that you're going to go in. Have you found that to be true, Matt? Yeah, and I think that you actually just touched on an extremely important point for entrepreneurs and business people. When I pivoted from a B2B business to a B2C business, our business was still doing okay. I didn't wait until failure. I saw the trend going down. And I think the biggest mistake that business owners make, and this is a bold statement when you say the biggest mistake, the biggest mistake business owners do is they're afraid to force reinvention when their business is doing well. And I love examples that I have actually from the photo industry. I know people that sat in the boardroom at Sony when a point of view camera got presented to them. At the time, Sony had 60% or 70% of the video marketplace. And someone presented this small point of view camera and they said, no, pass, it's going to eat into our sales. 
Five years later, GoPro owned 70% of the business and Sony was not a significant player anymore. So it's that kind of sort of fear of pivoting and reinventing when your business is doing well is really the heart of finding long-term success in your company. Another example I always use is Kodak invented the digital camera. They invented it and ended up going out of the film business and essentially going out of the photography business because they weren't willing to pivot from film when they were the leader to digital photography. So that's really the lesson, is that even when your business is doing well, you need to focus on reinvention and find where you can move your business to at all times. That's a terrific point. I think that Seth Godin made that. He talked about that as well in Purple Cows, where he talked about you've got to eat your cash cow in order to move on to different pastures. It's the same idea where you say, you know, you see a direction, you know that it can't be changed or influenced in an easy way, so you've got to make a bold choice to head in the direction where it's going rather than be consumed by the trend. That's right, exactly right. And like I said, that idea of reinventing when you're doing well is very hard. It's kind of like, you know, working on a car that's moving very, very hard to do. But sometimes that's exactly what's required. Matt, your company grew under these conditions too. You exited in 2015. What were the conditions when you exited compared to when you took it over? I mean, for me, it makes for a great story. It gets you on awesome podcasts like this one that I'm on <laughs> because I took a business, which when I walked in was doing a million dollars in business and left the business doing a hundred million dollars in business. So, but you know, I don't want you to think that you sort of look at the curve of sales and it's this kind of nice arc that goes <laughs> up there, you know, with multiple reinventions and technology, digital technology and the internet and Amazon coming along and all sorts of things coming on. I mean, it's a long journey that went through there. So sales were up and then they went down and up and down. But that's kind of, you get to talk about the endpoints, you know, when, you, when you're out there and you're trying to help people, you know, grow their business. That's true. And I will not minimize the fact that when business is up, it looks like everyone's doing really well and the moves were genius. And when it's down, <laughs> everyone's looking at it like, are we going to open our doors tomorrow? Those are difficult times that strong CEOs learn to weather. They learn to build resilience in their culture and particularly in themselves. And on that point, Matt, you must have had like a super solid and stable family life. You must have had like such a, a great place to go home to, to help restore yourself and get recharged for the next day. And I'm, I'm teasing because I've read the book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought this was a business podcast, not a, uh, not a comedy hour. <laughs> so you had a lot of challenges at the home at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they seem to both hit their sort of fevered pitch at the same time, which of course is, you know, what God always does to you. He throws, you know, they always say, you know, that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger, you know, or God doesn't give you more than you can handle. You know, I, I lived that many times in my life because while I was going through these sort of dips and reinventions, I had a very, very, how should I say this, dramatic home life. You know, as we talked about with the title of my book, Leader of the Path, I had five little children and just to, to the quick version of the story is their mom left us when the kids were very young. 18 months was the youngest, 18 months old through eight years old, and she walked away. And we ended up having this sort of cataclysmic divorce, went many, many years and ended up with a case in the Supreme Court, actually an unrelated, sort of a related case to this and a very, very long journey with me ended up getting 
custody of the children and then having to raise them on my own under very stressed circumstances and how I ended up coming out of that and actually surviving and sitting here with you today and laughing about it. And I, you know, I tell that story best. It's a pr very proud actually of my book, Leader of the Pack. It's, it was a bestseller, number one seller in uh, self-help books. It's got hundreds of uh, five-star reviews. And I get, even to this day, people coming to me and saying, hey, it's changed my life. It's helped me get through difficult moments in my life. So yeah, no, I, I but I, you want to know the truth? I think that being forced to raise my level at home, to become a man at home, go from a boy to a man, actually, in retrospect, while it was very, very difficult, actually helped me at work. I learned to be a better leader at work. I learned to be a better leader at home. I learned to manage that. I built my organizational skills. I did all of those things to rise to the level to kind of make it all happen. Now, I really get that from reading the book, and you take us through in, in super detail some of the difficulties. When you think of what was the very lowest time of that difficult period in your life, describe exactly what was going on. It was a time when we were moving from the business perspective. It was kind of that time where B2B sales had reached their lowest and I had just started. We tried to move to a new facility and I was trying to sort of change that business to that B2C model. At that point, my wife was in a very, very bad mental state. She was doing things with the children, which were very distressing. She was walking out on us. I had these children, which were in a very, very bad place emotionally. I was scared out of my mind. I had no idea how I was going to manage all of this. I was thinking to myself, this was going to be a jail sentence or, or I wasn't going to survive this or go bankrupt. So I think it was at that point when kind of all of that came together where I hit the lowest point in my life. I said to myself, you know, flight to Hawaii and a career in surfing is very, uh, you know, is a really interesting thought right now. But ultimately, you know, I love my business and I love my kids even more. And I had to figure out a way to stay in there for them. After all, they didn't ask to be in this circumstance. So, you know, you kind of figure it out and you did it all. But for me, that was the low point. Wife had just left, kids messed up, business in flux, moving a big facility. It was just a disaster. And that's really important. I just want to underscore that you found the strength by saying, my kids didn't choose this. I'm going to be there for them. And that really is manning up. You said to yourself, I have to be here for them. I'm not just going to go to Hawaii and, you know, I'm sure you could have disappeared. Yeah, I mean, I actually remember, even though it was quite a while at this point, I mean, I remember looking at these kids, they all kind of look like me. You know, I had all blonde haired, blue eyed kids looking up at me. And I actually had blonde hair at that time. Of course, I've got no hair because after you read that book, you'll know why I've got no hair. So looking at me, looking up at me and be like, dad, what are we doing? You know, and I, I go, you, you got to be the leader, right? It's the same thing that happens at work when things go tough. Your staff is looking to you to be cool, calm and have a plan. So, you know, it kind of forced me to try to be cool, calm and have a plan for us and try to fix all of that. So the change that actually came about is you learned how important it is both at home and at work to present that exterior of having cool, calm, and, and having a plan. What changed inside where you knew that you couldn't indulge a lot of the feelings that you wanted to share, a lot of the fear that you, wanted, that you were feeling? You needed to find a place to kind of work through that rather than share that with your employees or share that with your kids. You needed a, an appropriate place to deal with those kind of negative, stressful emotions that everyone experiences. What did you find that helped you? 
I think that the strength to overcome all of these things actually lies within each individual. And for me, it was a situation where, you know, I spent a long time feeling sorry for myself and then, you know, a good period of time be angry about all of it. And then I, I think it's one of those things where you just have moments where you realize that you can do this, right? I think it's just sort of accomplishing the little things one by one. You know, I couldn't get the kids to brush their teeth and go to bed when I first started, you know, but eventually you make that happen. I couldn't figure out at work how we were going to add on the products that we needed to sell photographers or how we were going to actually find the money to do all of this. But each time you, you exhibit courage and you accomplish something, you eventually get stronger and stronger. And eventually you realize that all of this is possible. And so that's really the big tip is that you got to start somewhere. And when you're in a very, very bad circumstance, rather than sort of wallowing in self-pity or being angry, because both of those emotions actually serve no constructive purpose, you start to look at the problem and you just try to do one thing, do one thing positive to advance the circumstance. And if you do one thing every few hours or one thing every day, eventually your circumstance gets better. I think for me too, I found a very spiritual connection at that point. You know, a lot of people do that. You know, you survive the plane crash and, you know, all of a sudden they're believers in God when they come off of that. So I think that that really happens to you in life is that it forces you to dig down deep, to just try to survive, do one thing at a time. And then all of a sudden you look back and you realize that you've advanced forward. You've done something significant and that builds confidence and builds strength and you start to grow as a human being. And I think in the end, you eventually solve these problems. Well, that's a terrific illustration of momentum that comes from maturity, good decision-making, and keeping your focus. Because in times of stress, there's so many opportunities to blow it on any of those levels. But you kept it together and got momentum moving forward, whether it was getting kids to bed at the right time or making sure that your website and product offerings were what you envisioned that you knew was going to put you in the right place for the market you were looking to serve. Yeah, I think you have five lives at home and, you know, 80 or 100 lives at your work that all kind of depending on you to do the right thing. And, you know, that I think is motivation for you to get it going and make it happen. I mean, if you're not, then maybe you shouldn't have been in that place to start with. Matt, what's the story of after you closed the stores and your online press, or you exited, you actually sold it, how did you become CEO of BB? And what market did BB serve? So what happened to me was sort of a funny thing. You know, you go in a business, you've been in 25 plus years, you go sell that business, you wake up the next day and a guy like me says to me, whoops, you are unemployed and you are a loser. <laughs> and then you try to do self-talk. And you're saying to yourself, well, you know, you deserve a little break. You always wanted to write a book. That's when I kind of went out and wrote Leader of the Pack. I write for, you know, various publications for Entrepreneur, write my own blog and Sweet Wit.com is my blog, wrote lots of articles, sort of was out there. I have a big thing where I talk about personal branding. I give talks on personal branding. And I guess it was my personal brand out there that attracted the founders of BB, which was a social network. Think of like somewhere between Facebook and LinkedIn, which helped you build your personal brand. And they actually reached out to me. And while I was trying to sort of cruise for a while, I had moved from 
New Jersey and was living, you know, in New York and an apartment, kind of always a bucket list item, New York City. They sort of grabbed me up. I became the CEO of that platform and actually added a million users over the year that I was there. And it was a very, very good experience for me because, and this was a, really a reinvention for me, from going to a, a brick and mortar business which sold the tangible product into the world of startups and tech. And so for me, it was a really, really educational and inspirational time and sort of then put me in position to the be where I am today, which is the CEO of a company called LuxNow, which is a startup in the luxury travel area. So for me, it's been a transition, but each time maybe a little reinvention. You know, Matt, I think that what you said and just kind of slipped by in your, your description there, that caught the ear of a lot of business owners who are listening, is that you added a million users. You just kind of offhandedly tossed that out. I'd like to hear a couple of ways that you found that didn't work and a couple of ways that you found that did work to add users in such a strong way. Because I'm sure you tried a lot of things that didn't work, and that would be useful to hear about. And then what did you finally realize made a difference in adding users to grow by 100,000 users a month? For us, it was actually, so I sort of take us back, you know, a few years ago, two, three years ago, when we were doing this. Our first attempt, which obviously is the easiest attempt, is we went out and tried to do what, what we call today digital marketing, to try to go out and draw people because we're running a social media platform. Where you have, you can sign up, create an account, you can write articles there, you make posts about everything and subjects that you want, and so on. We tried very traditional kind of advertise on Facebook, advertise on LinkedIn, advertise on Twitter. At that time, somewhat on Instagram, and it really was not so successful. Let's put it this way: it wasn't successful as a CPM, you know, cost per thousand. You know, it really was not a very cost-effective way to do it. It wasn't until that we sort of dug down deep to the heart of what we were doing, which was about the social nature of the platform. And we started to bring on people who provided content and people who were willing to organically talk about what was going on in their world and brought that onto the platform. So in some ways, it was sort of a pseudo influencer program, but not an influencer program in the sense of how you think of an Instagram, where you have some guy out there who's, you know, this muscular guy and he's advertising, you know, build muscle product or something like that. It was more of going out and finding business and even non-business people who were already producing lots of content and taking that content and placing it on the platform. And it was that that drew in all of these users. So that was really the most successful way we went about it. And it was very organic and very natural. And I think that that's really the point is that when you can do something that is very authentic, that is when it draws people in because people love authenticity. And how would you go and find these people just by what they were posting on other platforms and you'd approach them and say, hey, we'd love for you to publish on, so on our platform? Yeah, I think it was a combination of that and it was a combination. I used my own personal brand and a few of the people that we had in the company had large personal brands. We would reach out to people and then those people would see other people and bring those people in. We created a, an ambassador program for actually content producers. And it was that network that actually just grew and grew and it grew very organically and they brought their followers in. Because you would have one content producer somebody else would see him and say, hey, I want that. I want an opportunity to get at that audience and they would come on. So for us, it was a very natural, organic growth process that did that. 
Do you remember the names of any of the content producers that stood out for you that were really successful on the BB platform? Yeah, I think that um, one of them who I still actually, we still contact today, he's Medlux now, is a guy by the name of John White. He runs uh, his own consulting business company called Social Marketing Solutions. And he's really an excellent expert content producer that draws a lot of people. And I think John is one of these really awesome guys that many people may not have heard of. But if you go out there, he is just producing content, really relevant business content and drawing people in. And would you say that people who are using a particular platform, either text or audio or video, are doing particularly well? At the last time that you were in touch with BB, it may not be currently this month, but within the last six months or so. I think that, you know, I don't really want to single out a particular content. I think that all content can be successful. I think it just depends on how you execute it. I think you would say that audio content is pretty good. I think that there's a lot of people who produce video content that think it's great. I think guys like me, I produce video, a little bit of video content and a lot of written content. I write articles all the time and I get a lot of viewership and a lot of interaction. So I think any medium is good. It's a question of how well and how authentically you execute it. One of the other factors that a lot of people have been on my quest for the best say is that consistency matters. Have you found that to be true as well? I think consistency is extremely important, but it's also to be consistent within your brand, not to keep giving mixed messages. You know, that's something I'm working right now for a luxury marketplace. You know, LuxNow is a luxury marketplace. And so when we go out there and we produce content, we always want to be on brand and always talk about, hey, this is a place where you can find a luxury automobile or a luxury home or a luxury car or a luxury boat. This is what you want to talk about. You want to show luxury. You want to always sort of feature that. And I think that that is really the better advice, consistently on brand. I think that's a terrific distinction. Now, let's switch over to Lux now for a few minutes. What is it that people are thinking about when they are looking for a service and may not know about Lux now? What are the kinds of needs that they have that lead them to find Lux now and say, this is exactly the solution to the problem I have? Well, the, you know, whenever you have a startup, like we were a late stage startup because we're actually re- generating revenue, we have a billion dollars worth of assets on a platform and so on. I think that people walk when they travel are looking for luxury experiences. I think a lot of people are doing that. And there is no one convenient and easy way to do it. If you come to Miami, where we're located, which I would consider one of the hearts of luxury in the, in the country, if you want to rent a high end home or you want to rent a luxury automobile or even an exotic automobile, or you want to rent a yacht, it's not so clear how to go do that. And so we have a very easy to use app, very, very aesthetically pleasing. And we guide you through the process of being able to get easy and convenient access to that. And it doesn't matter where you go in the world, there's always a different way to approach that if there is any way at all. And the problem that LuxNow is solving is we're going to provide a consistent, easy, and convenient way to access those luxury assets anywhere you go. And Matt, what would you say would be some measures of success a year from now with LuxNow? So for us right now, we are in... Miami, we're in New York, we're in Los Angeles. Success for us will be continued to grow the assets on platform. We're at a billion dollars right now. The goal is, even with the current crisis going on, is to reach $2 billion in assets by the end of the year and expand into some new cities like Aspen, 
We're about to expand into Havana, Cuba, which is an extremely underserved location for luxury. If you've ever tried to travel there for whatever reason, you'll see how hard it is to actually find quality places to stay outside a few very expensive and, quite frankly, underperforming hotels. And we're also uh, going to expand into Mykonos. We're actually adding properties as we speak right now onto the platform. So success for us will be measured in three ways. One, a large increase in the amount of assets. And basically what I mean by assets are cars, homes, and yachts on the platform, an expansion into many cities, and as well, of course, as many, many renters using the platform. Well, Matt, you've shared so many great ideas with us on my quest for the best today. Everything from starting off with a central theme in your life where necessity forced you to explore and develop enormous skill sets and personal reserves that allowed you to become a master of reinvention, where you did it both in your business as well as in your personal life. Many people will tell stories of how Kodak didn't pay attention to the signals and sunk a multi-billion dollar company, where you, as a camera store owner and online distributor of materials, did pay attention to the signals and grew your company rather than getting washed downstream the way that many people who stuck their head in the sand didn't pay attention to. You shared ideas about making sure that when you're being effective at reinvention, you do one thing positive to advance your circumstances each day. And focusing on that one thing a day, maybe one thing an hour, but continually making progress in your desired direction is what builds momentum and helps you feel a sense of accomplishment, whether it's at home or at work. And I think everyone can benefit from that message. And we talked a little bit about how you grew BB and helping stay focused on a consistent message and making sure that you brought in authentic voices to the platform and sort of used an influencer strategy in order to really add a lot of users. By a lot, I mean a million users in the course of a year, which I think is of interest to a lot of business owners listening to the show. And then with Lux Now, how you solve this problem on a single platform that there are dozens and dozens of others who are looking and nibbling away at little pieces, but you're saying for the luxury buyer and luxury asset owner, who want to meet, you have a global community where you're looking to expand into different cities and you shared your metrics where you're going to double the, the value of the assets from 1 billion to 2 billion, right? Because anyone could get to 1 billion. You're going to go to 2 billion <laughs> <laughs> and add in new cities with really interesting and unique assets that people can search for and experience through LuxNow and also to have a great experience for renters, especially as opportunities open up for people to travel again once the coronavirus pandemic conditions are relaxed a little bit. So for all these reasons, Matt Sweetwood, author of Leader of the Pack, I want to thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best. Bill, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate the great interview and the opportunity to share with your audience you know, my life of experience. I hope it helps. Matt, before we say goodbye, can you tell us where we could find out a little bit more about you and your work right now? For me, it's really easy being an early social adopter. I can be found at M Sweetwood everywhere, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at M Sweetwood or msweetwood.com. And of course, the business website is luxnow, L-U-X-N-O-W.com. Matt, thanks again. We will post all the notes and links in the show notes as to where to find you, your book, as well as your business websites and social media platforms. Thanks once again for joining me on my quest for the best. My pleasure. 
Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app, so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.